All right, guys, welcome back to the Dave Gold Evolve podcast, where I interview industry leaders in the spiritual, dating, and business world to help men truly evolve. I uh, just want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor at the Self Love Army. Go over to Facebook and find Self Love Army. Check out the Godfather program. I promise you won't regret that one. So today, my guest is a very special person, actually my first mentor who helped me to understand forgiveness. So welcome, Davide. Thank you. Where in the world are you doing? Uh, where in the world are you today? I'm in Milan, Italy. Uh, this is where I grew up and this is where I work. Amazing. So how about you tell us a little bit about your journey um, in life to becoming a coach? Yeah, okay. So. I started with personal development in 2010. I was studying in China. Uh, I was studying there for a year. And basically, I never had any contact with personal development, but I was not doing good on my exams and I, I was behind. And so I read online, I, I looked for motivation, and I found a book that was an Italian plagiarized version of Thinking Grow Rich. And the author just wrote it as his own book. And I found it and I used it and I completed all my exams. So I got really excited about it. And that was my first experience with personal development. Then um, a lot of things happened. But long story short, in 2014, I started to get interested in coaching uh, with Tony Robbins. I discovered Tony Robbins and in 2015, I went to one of his events in London. And back then I was just uh, working in a company as a headhunter. And in that seminar, I had a shift of power, as you would call it. And a few months later, I quit my job. That was in November. And I've been a coach, a full-time coach ever since. So that was kind of my journey and coaching that's a short version then we can go into some details if you want to yeah how about we talk a bit about the shift in power so you experienced that in your own life and now you teach this to your students as well so yeah. what does it mean exactly um a shift in power a shift in power is basically the shift from victim to owner of circumstances which basically means a shift from I'm at the effect of the world to I am the cause. I create my circumstances, my mood, uh, whatever. And it's also basically the shift from I can't to wait, I can. So usually people have several shifts and major shifts in power during their life just a few of them. My, one of my firsts was during that seminar, I realized, wait, I, I really can start my own business. It's not like just, just a word. I got it into my body. I can do it. And a few months later, I did it. Uh, so that was my, my first shift of power. And to put it simple, it would be like um, realizing that other people, what other people are doing to you is not real. You're actually doing to them. 
I think my first shift in power was when I left America. And it was the first time when I could take control of my life and, and do things on my own without the influence of others. Um, but why is it so hard, do you think, for people to take this step on their own and create their own shift in power? Well, uh, we all have resistance and our ego is so stubborn and doesn't want us to realize our own power because the basic belief of the ego, so the ego secretly believes that it is God, that it is the supreme power. So to realize that we can create in the world would, would mean to the ego dissolution. So that's why it's so hard. Uh, but at the same time, our personal intention is more powerful than the ego. And when we realize that, we're able to make that shift. But that's why it's so hard. When it comes to ego, do you think that one surrenders to their ego, that they increase it, or they completely eradicate it? Well, technically, if you completely eradicate your ego, that would be turned enlightenment. And that's very rare. That's one in 10 million people. So it's statistically not a, a doable goal, especially in personal development. But what we aim for is just transcendence of certain aspects of the ego that don't allow us to be active in the world and to succeed. That would be the ideal. Mm -hmm. Have you ever met someone who was enlightened? No, I've heard of some of them. I've read books like Edgar Tolle had an enlightenment experience. Um, Byron Katie, um, David Hawkins, who's the author of Letting Go. Uh, but I've never personally met anyone that I know of. I might have met them and I didn't realize this, but no. So what exactly do you do with your students? So, okay, basically it's different for every person, but my main focus is to develop awareness and commitment. So a student comes to me with a desire, something he wants to do, something he wants to fix. And, but usually he doesn't believe that it's possible. He wants to do it, but he doesn't believe it's possible. Because in that particular area, he's still in victim mode. Otherwise, he wouldn't have come to me. He would have already fixed the issue. So my focus is to help that person realize that they are the creator. They're not the victim. And so they can actually start creating, even if it's like little by little, they can start creating that goal one step at a time and that is actually possible and i do that through the use of what are called powerful questions and powerful questions are questions that we cannot ask ourselves because of the resistance of the ego so someone else has to ask us those questions 
And when they do, then we have a chance to see something different. To put it simply, external feedback. And so if I ask the right questions, I know that the person is going to realize something. They're going to see a resource that they have that they didn't have before. And if they see that, their power, their personal power is going to increase. So once they realize that, then we move into commitment. And I say, okay, are you willing to actually make a really powerful commitment towards this particular area? And then I'm always open for them to say yes or no. That's the key. Because if I push for the yes, then it's going to be felt by the other person as pressure. I just make an invitation. I just tell them, you know, I just want you to know that this is possible. Not only possible, but it's possible for you. And I try to see them as already there. Because if I see them there, it's going to be easier for them to see it. Then they can also say no, and that's okay too. But my job is to give them that invitation to show them that possibility. And then it's up to them, of course. What's an example of a powerful question? An example of a powerful question is, well, there are many. Uh, one that I really like to ask at the beginning of a conversation is, what would make this an extraordinary conversation for you? The reason why this is powerful is because people, especially if they've never done coaching, they don't come into the conversation expecting an extraordinary conversation. They just come into the conversation expecting it or maybe useful, maybe not, but they don't, they almost never expect a real shift. So by asking that question, I'm indirectly making them aware of the fact that, wait, we also have this possibility. If you wanted to, this could be a crucial conversation for you. So that's an example of a powerful question. All right, have you ever had a student where you weren't quite sure whether they were really gonna be able to hold up to their commitment? All the time, all the time. Um, because, you know, we have our own personal power. We have our own free agency, so we're free to do whatever we want. We can make a really strong commitment, but at the same time, since we're free, we can also change our minds the day after, and that's okay. Um, you know, as a coach, in coaching school, they teach you that you cannot be, uh, you cannot be responsible for the person, for what the person is going to do after the coaching. Otherwise, you would be able to control people, which is not possible. Your only responsibility is to show them what they cannot see. Once you do that and make an invitation, once you do that, they have that slot in their memory, in their power that is open. And now they're free to do whatever, you, whatever they want. I wanna go back for a second because I see a lot of guys in the personal development scene that are especially getting into it, fall into the victim mentality um, kind of loser mindset, this trap where they feel like, you know, they're different than everyone else because they just can't do it and shit hasn't just been given to them. And 
I don't know whether it's a sense of entitlement in certain countries or whether maybe we're giving this um, appraisal for things that we don't really need growing up. And then when we go to do things and we fail, we start to feel really shitty about ourselves. Mm. Um, whereas actually learning failure and rejection and what it takes to actually achieve success the hard way. Um, but let's say someone is thinking about changing their life and they feel like the loser mentality is what's holding them back the most. What would you tell them? Well, I had this happen the other day uh, with a guy. Actually, it really happens very often. So I would tell them, I would tell them the question the fact that this belief has any power over them. Because what we, what we do is we say, I'm not enough. I can't do this. And we believe that we're only going to be able to move forward once we get rid of that belief. But, and, and that sounds true. And it is true in a certain way. However, I'm going to give you a quote that says, if all obstacles must first be removed, nothing will ever get done. So in other, way, in other words, if you have to first remove that belief completely before you move on, you'll never move on. So there has to be another way. So what I help them understand is that action and belief, they don't have to be linked to each other because intention, if you set a very powerful intention, that can actually transcend those beliefs. Like you see this when, uh, when a shy guy goes to uh, approach a girl for the first time. And, and then you see another guy who's been into dating for two years, who doesn't have, who won't go talk to that girl. But maybe the new guy will go, but wait, the new guy is more afraid has more negative beliefs. Why is that so? The new guy shouldn't be able to go. And the reason is because the intention of the, of the new guy is stronger and therefore it transcends those beliefs. So this is what I help them understand that you don't need to be perfect for you to succeed. I know many people because then you meet people they have, they have massive success and then you talk to them and they still have some beliefs. They still have beliefs about like imposter syndrome. Many people who make a lot of money have still imposter syndrome. How is that possible? Because they didn't believe that those beliefs hold them back. Did you have imposter syndrome for a while when you got started coaching? Of course. Yeah. A lot of it. I used to, I used to dream mm -hmm. that um, they would interview me on national television mm -hmm. and they would uh, arrest me on national television for <laughs> having, uh, you know, done something wrong. And, you know, so yes, of course. And I still have it every time I go to another level. Uh -huh. 
So see, that's the perfect example. Because now I know that even if I still have it, when I go to the next level, I don't have to give it attention. By the way, that doesn't mean suppressing it. That's different. Suppressing means that you deny its reality. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is I'm not going to be fooled by the ego into thinking that that rules my life, that that belief has power over me. I'm just going to remember the truth. And the truth is I have the power regardless of what beliefs are there. So this is like an internal dialogue that you have with yourself when you're going through this um, imposter syndrome where you need to talk your way and coach your way out of it and consciously remember that you're there for a reason. Yeah. There's a, there's a saying, discipline is remembering what you want. So yeah, and as I said before, we're not gonna, we're not likely to completely transcend the ego. So we need some mechanism to act anyway, while we work on transcending the ego. Because if we only did the mechanism like, okay, I need to remind myself that the belief doesn't have any power over me, but we can do that for a whole lifetime and we can struggle for a whole lifetime. So in parallel to that, we can work on those beliefs and those emotions so they reduce. So we have to do that less and less, but only working on the beliefs without having also those um, outer game tactics that are really useful. Uh, it just, it's just not using the full potential, you know, physical, mental, and spiritual. We need to operate on all three levels. And I found that the best way is to use all of them because why not? I can work on my emotions and you know me, you know that my central focus is emotion. So I'm not going to deny the emotion, but I also know that if I believe that I first have to get rid of the emotion, then I can act, then I'm denying my power and giving my power away to the emotion. All right. So that was a great intro. I want to take it back for a second. You know, we met in Milan, um, I was trying to get better with women and, you know, dating and things like this. And you were immersed in this world at the time. Um, how did you kind of break free from the, you know, pickup and that kind of stuff? And what kind of clicked in your mind? And what do you think of what's going on right now with that kind of side of the dating world? Yeah. So basically what happened for me is, I was teaching dating uh, up until 2016, and then I kept on teaching it. But for me, it was a slow transition because I've been focused on dating for a few years, like really focused. That was the only thing I was doing apart from working. And so it was really focused. So when I started the business, that was also the time when I met my soon-to-be wife in 2016. So what happened is, at the beginning, we were kind of having a relationship, but I was also telling her, you know, this is my job. I'm going to keep doing this. So you, you know, uh, I want us to work with this. Uh, I'm not going to be that guy that goes exclusive right away because 
not only because of my preference, but this is actually my job. So, um, but then after a while, I started losing interest and gaining more interest in the traditional side of coaching, the personal power, because, you know, every person who evolves into dating, sooner or later, they realize that the power is not really into the, the dating stuff. That there's much more to masculinity than just dating and in general to growth. So I was realizing that and that was a really gradual shift. There wasn't like a decision. It was a really gradual shift that occurred. And the last seminar I, I gave on dating was in 2018, I think, but I was already kind of out of it. So it was a really slow transition that also allowed me to not lose any business in the, in the transition. So looking back, that was a really smart move, but I can't say I did it consciously. I can't take all the credit for it. Do you guys still come to you for advice on dating and meeting women? Yes. Some guys still do because uh, some guys maybe have been recommended by people who are in the dating world. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it happens. Uh, and if they ask, of course, I will use my experience as a dating coach. Uh, what I won't do, however, is go uh, actually with them. Yeah, go out with them. Field. Yeah. Um, I will focus more on the coaching part. So maybe the, um, the inner part and also the strategic part. Um, and then I just tell them, you know, if you want to do also the, the practical part, you can just hire a, a dating coach uh, while you work with me and do both at the same time. And sometimes yeah. they do that. What do you think are some of the most common misconceptions out there for men when it comes to meeting women in an authentic, natural way? Well, where do we start? <laughs> I don't know. Go for it. <laughs> There's a lot of them. Like, first of all, well, the first that comes to mind is that they're going to have to become like this really powerful alpha male. Uh, and it's going to be such a, a hard thing to do. Um, so it becomes like the revenge journey mm -hmm. to get revenge on, on all the stuff that they didn't get in the past, all the girls mm -hmm. they didn't have. So sometimes it becomes an anger journey. Uh, so that's one of the first traps and misconceptions. Another misconception is that girls are the enemy, basically the enemy that has to be conquered. So uh, let's go to war. And the problem with that is that it puts you into a competitive frame of mind instead of a frame of mind where there's togetherness. And if you work from a competitive frame of mind, you can only go so far. And the best result is win-lose. Because in competition, if you win, someone loses, you're never gonna achieve win-win. To achieve win-win, you have to go to the collaborative frame of mind. Another one is that they, they have to become someone else. Basically, okay, they say, okay, this person that I've been up till, up till now is not good. 
this is not a good person. So I'm going to have to become someone completely different. And if you think about it from certain points of view, that's true. But the way they approach it is this needs to go. Let's put on a mask. So they become fake. And basically what, what it does is it destroys your soul slowly. Um, so there are many more, but these are the major ones, I would say. Yeah, <laughs> completely agree. So let's say someone doesn't feel enough. So they feel like, all right, I got to fake it till I make it. I got to put on a mask. I got to become someone else. I need you to tell me the lines that you're using to pick up that girl. Okay. Or, you know, how do I dress? What do I need to do to get in the gym to completely, you know, change who I am? Where on one level, I think that a lot of guys do need to work on themselves and they do need to grow and adapt their style and their image and everything about their persona. But why is it so, you know, dangerous to fake your personality? Well, the reason it is dangerous is because the most freedom in life comes from being yourself. And there's a great book called The Courage to be Disliked. And in that book, that, that book can, can be summarized in one sentence. And that sentence is, freedom is being disliked. Which doesn't mean that you have to go and be disliked, but the freedom that you don't have to be liked. And so when you have that, you don't have to put on a mask. But to answer your question, the reason why it is so uh, destructive is because that freedom of being yourself the more you, you put on a mask, the more you go away from that freedom and the more you suffer. I think it took me a while to figure that one out because I, like many other guys, um, felt like if someone else was doing better than myself, then I need to try to be like them. And... I guess what I learned was I could take bits and pieces of what they were doing and, and learn from it and bring it into my arsenal. But any time that I tried to really, you know, be like them or, or do exactly what they were doing, that I wouldn't get the same exact outcome. And then I would feel some kind of guilt or shame or frustration as to why it's not happening for me. And it hasn't really come until just a few years ago or, or maybe even last year that I started to realize the connection that could be formed with other people through vulnerability and through really showing your flaws and your past, you know, fuck ups in life. So right. That's been an awakening for me as I start to coach guys on a longer, you know, scale and see that, yeah, in a way you need to improve what you're doing 
but you also need to surrender to who you are innately as a person and what you love and what you stand for and what you embody. And the more you can embrace that and we can bring that out of you, the faster you're going to find peace in your purpose or in your dating life or whatever it is. But on that path to peace, you need to find discipline. And I was very immersed in discipline in the Israeli army for a few years, but then it starts to fade. And I know on your Facebook, your cover photo is discipline, surrender, flow. So talk to me about that. Right, so that is a really powerful concept. So surrender is basically letting go of attachment. You know, the Buddha said it. The Buddha said that all suffering is due to attachment, all of it, to attachment of some kind. So attachment, we could call it in more practical terms, attachment to any outcome whatsoever. So when you're doing something, attachment to the outcome will create suffering, a period. And so we need to detach from the outcome. We need to surrender that outcome and accept the fact that we're, we're not going to be able to control it. Uh, however, that doesn't mean that we're a passive victim. That's why we also need discipline. And discipline, I would define it, as, this is not my definition, but it's Brian Tracy's definition that I really like. And that is discipline is the ability to do what you've decided you were going to do, whether you feel like it or not. So basically is the ability to have your action transcend how you feel about your action, you know? So combining those two, you have flow and flow is a really good state. I would define it as effortless peak performance. That would be the best definition. What does that mean? It's when you are at your best, but at the same time, the fact that you're giving your best and giving your all does not cause you any stress, which sounds paradoxical. How, would, mm -hmm. how could that be? I'm going all in, but I'm not stressed. And that's what happens. If people, when people say that's not possible, it's just because they've never experienced flow. And there's an entire book on flow. It's, it's titled Flow that explains how that state works. But in, in that book, it explains it a little differently. Instead of saying discipline and surrender, it says skill level and a difficulty of the task, uh, which are interchangeable, actually. But is actually reachable and the more you reach it, the better you will perform. You're focused, you feel happy and productive and it comes with both ingredients. And the mistake people make is that they try to achieve that with only one ingredient. You'll find people that say, it's only discipline that will bring you focus. But the problem is that with discipline, they are focused but the fact that they're attached to the outcome brings in suffering, which is stress. 
So they'll have peak performance, but with stress. And the people who only do surrender, they're really good at surrendering outcomes and they have absence of stress, but no peak performance. So when you put them together, you have the best of both worlds. That's why I like the, the drawing with the two sets and the intersection is a flow. You didn't make that? No, I didn't. I wish I had. So let's break it down one by one. How do you refine your discipline? All right, so you refine your discipline by first of all, making a very powerful commitment. Because we said before that discipline is also remembering what you want. Discipline is remembering your commitment. If you don't have any discipline, any commitment, it's gonna be hard to stay disciplined. On the other hand, if you have a huge commitment, really powerful commitment, it's not gonna be that hard. It's still gonna require practice and will, but it's gonna be infinitely easier. So step one is make a commitment. What's, what's behind the commitment? Hmm, good question. Behind the commitment is basically a choice. Mm -hmm. A choice, a shift in decision. The, the fact is, it's not, we don't go from zero commitment to commitment. We go from one commitment to another. We're always committed. It's just that we're committed to something other than what we want. So if I haven't achieved something up till now, it's not that I haven't been committed per se, is that I have, I've been extremely committed to not achieving it. Not really wanting it. I remember you talking about this. Yeah. Like yeah. you said, okay, you know, if you're doing something that you don't like, well, but maybe it's because you want to be doing it. Right, right. So the first step is to realize that we're actually extremely successful with our current commitments. It's just that we don't know that we've made the opposite commitment. Mm -hmm. But once we realize that, we say, wait a minute, I thought that I wasn't committed and therefore I didn't have any power. But this tells me that actually do have the power, I'm just using it in the other direction. So that's already a major shift because even if you don't shift your commitment, you keep that commitment, at least you re-own your power. Even if it's in a negative direction, at least you've re-owned that. Wait, I'm, I'm, managing to, I'm managing to do that. I'm managing, can you imagine how much power I must have to self-sabotage everything I do towards that? That takes power. And so I'm really successful at that. Now, if I realize that, I can, I can say, okay, now I can shift it. But if I don't, I'm gonna think I don't have it. See, you can only build on success. So you need to first realize the success you've had. What does that mean? You can only build on success. You can't build on failure? I mean, you can, but it's gonna be much harder. Because when you say, okay, I'm a failure, but let's create success, you're going to start from the assumption I'm a failure and mm -hmm. success is outside. And that's going to be a real struggle. You can do that, but it's going to be much harder. But if you realize that, wait, success is already in me. I was talking to a guy the other day yeah. and he was telling me there are 10 points of confidence. 
how many points do you feel now? I asked him inside of you. He said like six. And where are the other four? I asked him. The other four are in the people, are owned by the people that I'm not feeling confidence talking to. And I said, so what's going to happen? Are you going to go and take those points back? And he said, yes. So how are you going to do that? Well, I'm going to go there and just be sincere and, and tell them what I need to tell them very directly and then take my points back. And I said, but wait, how are you going to be able to do that if they have the points? The only way you will be able to do that if, is if you actually have the points all along and they don't have anything. So wait, then the points are inside me. Now I can commit to using them. All right, let's step over to the other side of the ball. So surrender. Yeah, yeah. so surrender. Yeah, what does it take to truly yeah. surrender? Because I feel like people will get to that point and then they'll surrender for a bit and then it's like, I don't like this, it's uncomfortable, okay? Sure. Yeah, it is. Well, surrender has been my other focus. Actually, I've been more focused on surrender than on discipline because I started out with a lot of discipline. I was very disciplined. Yeah. But I didn't really surrender. And so for the past few years, I've been doing thousands of hours of meditation and letting go. Um, so the starting point of surrender is to realize that it's really difficult to describe, but basically it's letting go of resistance is Stopping the resistance is a really difficult concept to explain because if you say to someone, just let go, they're not going to know what you mean because they don't know how to operate that mechanism. So you have to go through those steps one by one and explain to them how the mechanism works physically. Like you have to listen to this emotion and notice how there's a part of you that is actually keeping that emotion in place and not wanting to feel it. So now just try to feel it completely. And when they do that, they actually surrender. Now, the reason why it's hard is the same reason why it's hard to change. It's because the ego doesn't want to do that at all. Because the ego knows that surrender is, is going to be his dissolution. Like, it knows that it has no power over surrender. But it doesn't want us to know. Otherwise, we'll be surrendering all the time. So the person has to be at a point in their life where, where they are ready to surrender. That's why I always say the letting go mechanism always works. And when it doesn't, it's because we haven't actually decided to surrender. So it's, here again, it's more like in discipline. See, they have this in common. They have the decision and commitment in common. Decision always comes first because human intention always is the most powerful. That's why you see people surrendering without even knowing about the letting go mechanism. How is that possible? Because the intention to surrender is much more powerful. It's so powerful that even if you don't know the mechanism, it'll happen. Conversely, if you don't intend to surrender, even if you know all the mechanism, all the techniques, all the meditation styles, it's not going to happen. 
let's say you surrender and you start to gain discipline. At what point will you know that that commitment was really successful? Right. Really good question. So you will know because you'll get to a point when you'll think to yourself, oh, it's done. It's practically done. It's just a matter of time. And you'll feel that. You'll feel, I'm on, okay, now I've chosen it. I'm on my way and it's just a matter of time. And it's really done. And it's so done that whatever happens, even if it doesn't happen, it's okay. Because you, you realize that all you wanted was to access that power. And then the result doesn't even matter. So you know that it, it's happened when you feel that it's basically all set. You know, from now on, there's action to do, there's, there's failure to overcome, but I'm basically okay because now I've made the shift in power. So if we're talking about flow, mm -hmm. how much of your goals and calendar and intentions do you think should be planned out and how much should just be a surrender to the flow of life? Right, right. Well, it depends on the individual. It really, it really depends. That's why coaching is so powerful because it can be tailored to the individual. But to give you some general lines, um, general guidelines, I would say that I would plan at least once or twice a day, a restatement of your commitment, just to remember, just to keep you on track. And I do that twice a day. I do it in the morning and in the evening. I just mm -hmm. remember my commitments. And you don't need to do that. It depends on the person. For me, it works. So you really have to see what works for you. And the rest of it, you can really surrender. So usually the part that you, that you go with the discipline is the, the systems. The systems are what you need to do, the structuring of your day. And the surrender part can go more towards the outcomes. Mm -hmm. So I have my day planned and I'm gonna be disciplining myself to do all the actions but the outcomes of all those actions, I'm going to surrender. Do you have any commitments that you're currently working on right now? Yeah, actually, a commitment is once you've made it, you don't really work on it. You remember it. You just okay. so give reminders. I yeah. was going to say, do you want to make a commitment on this podcast today? And, and I'll do one as well. Oh, yeah, sure. I have a, a commitment that I've been that I've not working, but I've been restating uh, for, I think, two months. And I've stated that commitment in the form, in the present form, like you would an affirmation. And my commitment is, I am the best coach in Italy. Best listener, best encourager, best coach overall, highest paid, that I am. Well, that was really powerful. My commitment is a bit different. I think you know about it as well as we've talked. So my commitment 
is I am in control over my phone and over my computer. And I am going to not touch my phone when I wake up for at least an hour every morning. And that commitment is going to fall into effect in this coming month in September. And by October, it's going to be not just a commitment. It's just going to be a part of my flow. Nice. I love that. All right, Davide, what are your goals for your business and for your dating life in the next year? How are you going to evolve each area? Right. So dating life, I'm getting married in a few days. So amazing. Yeah. My commitment is to have the best marriage, the best marriage I can have uh, to be really loving to my future wife and that by itself is a really huge commitment. You know, my, my coach, when I told him that I was going to ask my girlfriend to marry me, he said, remember, the most important thing about the wedding is not the ceremony, it's not the people who are going to be there. The most important thing is that you're making a commitment in front of witnesses. They're going to hold you accountable for that commitment. Wow, and a lot that, of people don't hold up to that commitment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was really powerful for me. And I'm still committed to that, and I will be. So in the dating world, in, um, in the business world, I've already told you my commitment. That is my commitment. So uh, I've got these two huge commitments, um, and these are basically the, the central focus of my life now. Mm-hmm. And are you taking on students right now? Sure, I'm taking on students. Uh, I really um, like to work with people who are uh, very ambitious. And if I can see in someone like a really strong drive, I know that we're gonna go do good work together because I know that there is potential there is, uh, that we can really transform. So how can they reach out to you? Yeah, yeah. I've got my Facebook profile. Uh, As you know, I don't really have a social media presence. I go by word of mouth, but they can just write to me on my profile and and get in touch and have a conversation and see what's going on in their lives. And I'll see if I can help them. Amazing. So this was a deep dive into discipline, surrender, flow, and commitment. And I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the podcast. Feel free to check out my website, Dave Gold Evolve, and also send Davide a message if you connect to our message. So thank you so much and talk to you soon. Peace. Thank you.